Well, good morning, Redemption. My name is Nolan Bratt. Our reading this morning comes from Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. This is God's word for us today. Thank you, Nolan. Let's pray together as we look to God's word this morning. Father, use this passage to shed light on our lives, the lives we live, the new kind of spiritual life that we live in Christ. Help us to see why it matters. Help us to take courage when we grow weary, God, and give us, we pray, an eternal perspective that will carry us through. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, typically, as we grow up into adulthood, uh, the older we get, we know, the more responsibilities we take on. Uh, when we start driving, all of a sudden, we're responsible for the safety of ourselves and others in this big metal machine. Uh, we're responsible for getting places on time now. Uh, if we go to college, we become responsible for everything that's involved in doing college, getting the most out of our education, tuition. Then if we get married, we become responsible for the well-being of our spouse and the relationship we share. If we have kids, we become responsible for protecting, providing for them, and guiding them. And whatever kind of work it is that we devote our lives to, of course, it also comes with a long list of responsibilities. And the truth is these responsibilities can be hard, hard work for anyone. Uh, they demand much of our time and our effort, and especially when you add in just all the external stressors and the struggles of life, it can feel increasingly like you're carrying more and more weight, more and more weight. It can bear down and weigh on you as a burden, right? Now, this is not a new problem at all. This is not like a modern world problem. I want you to picture a farmer in the ancient world who spent hours and hours that season sowing his field with seed in hopes of reaping a harvest he could use to provide for his family. This is the illustration, basically, that Paul uses in our passage with sowing and reaping. This farmer is responsible for putting all the right seeds 
in the right soil in the right way. If he gets bad seeds or he sows them in the wrong way, the whole thing can go to waste. He'd have nothing to show for all this responsibility he just took, for all this work he put in. He is responsible also for gathering the harvest and selling the crops on time. If he doesn't collect it or sell it fast enough, the whole thing could go to waste as well. And so, meanwhile, he is not responsible for the weather or any other number of natural barriers to this whole process, but he is responsible for his family. And if that harvest doesn't come, he may not have many options. We could probably relate to this tension in life, this squeeze, right? This is part of our human experience. And all of us take on certain responsibilities that tend to require quite a bit from us, and we often don't know how everything's going to work out. We don't know if it will end up even being worth it in the end. We don't know that for certain. There's no guarantees, right? As Christians, we know that part of this tension is all the result of the fall. In the beginning, God made a man and woman in particular. He told them to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it, which is going to involve multiplying children, having families, and working and keeping the field, the ground, the garden, right? But as a result of their sin, both the pains of childbirth were multiplied, and now as a result, the ground produces thorns and thistles. In other words, our lives our families, our work, all these things which were meant to glorify God can now often become tremendous burdens. This is all part of life in this present evil age that Paul's told us right in the beginning of this letter that Christ has come to deliver us from. And in our passage today, Paul explains what our new life should look like in Christ as God's faith-filled, heavenly children who have been justified of our sins and adopted into his Son, Christ Jesus. How should we live, both individually and corporately together as a church, if we want to be delivered, if we want to reap eternal life in the end? How should that change the way we live now? Now, since Paul has finished spending extensive period of time clarifying the spiritual nature of these churches, what these churches even are, namely a heavenly family that God is creating as people repent of their sins and trust in Christ alone, now, he, since then rather, he's been calling the Galatians to this new kind of heavenly life as the spiritual body of Christ. The last few passages, he's told us even to stand firm in the body of Christ in the grace that we've received. Then last time we, we looked at Galatians, he told us to walk by the Spirit of Christ. And then here he tells us to bear one another's burdens, to sort of share a load. Notice these are all physical images that you can do with your body, and they're meant to illustrate this new spiritual life that we are supposed to live in Christ. And at the end of that last passage where Paul told us to walk by the Spirit, he concluded that section by saying this. If you look one verse ahead, he says, if 
We live by the Spirit. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And then notice at the end, he turns to the corporate life of these churches. And he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so we can presume this is what was happening in these churches as the members of these churches began departing from faith in the gospel and tried to rely instead on their flesh through circumcision and obedience to the law in order to worship and relate to God. What happened was that they became conceited. They began provoking one another. They began envying one another. Got a little prickly, to say the least. So in our passage today, as Paul gets ready to wrap up this letter, he's basically saying here, listen, here's what you need to do to get back on course here and stay on course. And then he challenges them too. You actually have to do it. It it really matters that you do. And so we're going to see this unfold today in two parts. We're going to see first a call to action And then we're going to see a clarification, kind of a challenging clarification. First, we see a call to action, really a series of calls to action. And the basic summary is take responsibility. And then Paul encourages us to take responsibility in three specific ways. And so look with me at the text. First, uh, we are called to take responsibility for the spiritual well-being of our brothers and sisters, for one another's spiritual well-being. Now, when Paul first says that we are to restore these brothers and sisters who are caught in transgression, it's kind of uncertain exactly what he means by that. It could be that they're caught in a specific sin, one disqualifying sin. It could be that they're caught in sort of just a pattern of sin and transgression in their life. Um, It could be that they were caught in that they were just sort of stuck in it, sort of like that ram in the thicket from the, the, the series in Genesis. They're just stuck. Or it could also be that they've been found out, right, that their sin has been discovered. It's hard to say, but the point, I think, is still the same. If we see fellow members of our churches in sin as their spiritual brothers and sisters, we are responsible to restore them. And we're responsible to do that with a spirit of gentleness. Notice, notice he even says, you who are spiritual should restore them. Well, what does that mean? Does it, is, he, is he presuming that some Christians are spiritual and some Christians are not? Well, no, not at all. In other words, he's saying, listen, he's, he's perplexed about these churches, remember. He's confused about their spiritual condition. And it's his, he's talking to the church saying, I, like, I don't know who really is a Christian here or who's not, but those of you who are true sons of the Spirit, as we've seen, right? Not just sons of the flesh. Those of you who truly do walk by the Spirit and not just by the flesh, don't just let pride and envy and provocation take over in God's heavenly household. You can't do Don't just let that happen. You have to do something about that. You have to take responsibility. But how we take responsibility in this way clearly matters as well. We have to do it again with a spirit of gentleness. He's just encouraged us last, uh, in our last passage. We have to do this in a way that is marked by the fruit of the Spirit that Paul just mentioned. But we are responsible to do it. We can't just let this kind of life take over the church. We can't do it. 
But next, Paul warns us as we try to restore our brothers and sisters in this way. He says, keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted as you right, go about restoring them. And some, most scholars agree there's at least three possibilities of what he could mean here. First, he might mean that you're tempted to respond to their sin in anger, in a harsh and ungentle way. That's possible. Uh, it could also be that you are tempted to sin in the same ways that they are stuck in sin as you try to restore them in sin. That's possible as well. But the third and more likely caution Paul's probably hinting at here is that we will be tempted towards self-righteousness as we try to restore others who are in sin. Uh, he's saying, listen, don't, don't restore people to prove your strength in the flesh. Right? That, that's not the point at all. Instead, he continues next, bear one another's burdens. Right? This is why we do this. Help your brother and sister. This is the aim. And so, he says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I have to just tell you, some things Paul says just explode with meaning and all kind of things he's already said start to blink in the passages. Like, Everything kind of comes together, and this is, one of those, this is one of those phrases that does that. I would love to talk for 35 to 40 minutes to you just about what he might mean by the law of Christ. I really would. Um, I won't, uh, but I really would. Um, there are, there, there's a lot to be said here, and it's not a slam dunk. There's a lot of differences in opinion. However, uh, in the Gospels, there's this way of teaching that Jesus is known for where he will interpret the Old Testament and sort of apply it himself with a new kind of authority even. For instance, he would say, and you maybe heard him say, you have heard it said, so and so forth, but I say to you. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, this is something Jesus does. He takes a lot of liberty to do that. Most teachers of the Old Testament who would never think to say something like that, but he teaches with a kind of authority. And as a general rule, this law of Christ, if you want to call it that, is actually more stringent and more intense than the law of the Old Testament. And for instance, it's not just, hey, don't murder, okay? It's actually don't look at your brother with anger. Do you see how he does that? getting to the root and the heart of the issue in, in a spiritual person's life, the inner realities. Now, many scholars agree that when Paul says we fulfill the law of Christ, that, in a sense, is what he's talking about. We fulfill this inner, the real spiritual reality that drives us to either sin or to walk by the Spirit as we live a Christian life. Now, I want to be very clear about something here. It's important we draw on the rest of the letter and be very clear about something that Paul has been very clear about in this letter. We cannot fulfill the law. We cannot, and this is why justification we saw, especially back in chapter 2, is, is, is by faith. If you look with me, actually, turn back to chapter 3 and look with me at verse 13. Here's what Paul has already said about the law, just to help us make sense of this. In verse 13, he said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So we have to understand this. Whatever he means by law of Christ here, we have to remember we, we had to be set free from the law in order to become Christians in the first place. Lest we just try and obey this and fulfill the law on our own, right? Then if you look with me in, in chapter 3, verse 21, Paul says, if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. 
In other words, just living under the law does not lead to reaping eternal life. It doesn't give life. The law doesn't accomplish that. At least not the Old Testament law, the written law that he's talking about. And if you go back again to chapter 2 in verse 21, we'll remember why this is the case. And it's because all of the gospel, all of the power of God to save depends on grace. It's unmerited, undeserved favor. And Paul says in 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So I want to be clear. We do not just fulfill the law by bearing each other's burdens in and of our own strength. We can't do it in and of ourselves. And yet, here, in another sense, it's almost as if there's this different kind of, of spiritual law that we do fulfill as we live together in these churches as justified members of Christ's body. And as we've seen, it's as if we are crucified and the life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God. It's as if he is doing it through us. This is the new sense in which we do fulfill a kind of law, namely we do it together as the body and we do it by faith in Christ. Jesus fulfills the law through his church as the Spirit empowers our life together. But here, again, only if we take this whole heavenly family thing seriously, <laughs> only if we take responsibility for one another's well-being and bear one another's burdens so fulfilling the law of Christ. So we need to take responsibility for our brothers and sisters' spiritual well-being. Next, we need to take responsibility for our own spiritual well-being. It's as if here in verse 4, Paul is anticipating and addressing a kind of problem that might come up as a result of what he's just said. Look with me in verse 4. He says, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself, alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Now, I just want to admit, sometimes when I sit down to study a passage, I read it the first time or two, and I just think, I don't know what he means by that. And, and that happened this week uh, with this phrase. It's really confusing, right? Because, I, I mean, it's just really natural, based on everything he's already said, are we supposed to boast? And especially in ourselves? In ourselves alone, it seems to be completely contrary to what he's saying, and clearly the answer is, is no, we're not. Remember, he just encouraged us not to think we are something when we are nothing. That sounds a lot like boasting, right, in ourselves even. So that's not what he's saying. And next week, if you look forward with me to chapter 6, look at verse 14. Paul will even say, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So Paul is not saying that we should boast in ourselves. On the other hand, what he is kind of saying is, but that doesn't mean we should slough off either. It's really what he's basically saying. We do need to take responsibility for our own spiritual well-being. You guys remember high school uh, when you did the group projects? And, you know, there's four or five of you. You're sitting around, and it becomes really clear early on who's really going to carry the weight in this project, right? Not everyone is putting in the same amount of work here. But at the end, imagine you, you, it goes great, 
and you get a wonderful grade, right? Now, that person who did nothing, he could boast in that great grade that he got, but he has no reason to boast in himself alone because he did nothing, right? Uh, he only can boast in his neighbor. He's, he's, he's expecting these people to take responsibility in a way. In the same way, as we consider the life of our church, we should be very thankful for the corporate work that God is doing in the whole church, but we should also take personal responsibility for what God needs to do in us. This means we need to test, inspect our work. We need to, to, to uh, understand and, and pursue a greater spiritual quality of life and ministry in ourselves. So we, we've seen this individual and corporate tension, really, throughout the book of Galatians. Uh, we are justified by faith alone at the end of the day. Our salvation is profoundly personal. It's an intimate thing between us and God. Now, at the same time, we've seen over and over, God is gathering us into this huge heavenly household of faith. That is true. But it is a household of faith. And there is no other member of this church, there is no other person in this world who can have faith for us, for you. So as helpful as our fellow church members may be, as incredible as it is that we get to bear one another burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, at the end of the day, as Paul says here, each will have to bear his own load. No one will reap eternal life or get into God's heavenly family at all in any true sense because of something his neighbor does or says or faith that his neighbor has or, or, or anyone else. Every member of every church, every true Christian must take responsibility for their own spiritual well-being. Not to be saved or to be justified. We're not, that's not what we're talking about. That's a totally different passage. That was chapter 2. Here we're talking about but how to live in the way that God intends. And, and that really matters is what I think Paul wants us to see. It does. And finally, uh, we need to take responsibility for the church's spiritual mission. That is primarily the mission to proclaim and teach God's word in all the world. This is the part where I tell you guys that you have to give me all kinds of good gifts because I teach you the Bible on a regular basis. Uh, it's in there. It's in the Bible. I'm sorry it says it. You know, I don't, I don't, I know it's uncomfortable, but you know, it's okay, you know. Um, no, I, I think a little bit of context is helpful here. Uh, we have to remember the Galatians were Gentile Christians, uh, which means they did not have any history with the Old Testament, the teaching of the Old Testament, uh, and Paul was the first one to teach them the gospel, the word of God. Uh, and remember, back in chapters 1 and 2, Paul even told them about his global ministry and calling from God to preach the word among the Gentiles, and he even recounted a trip that he took to Jerusalem for the apostles to confirm his teaching. So the point is this. There is a history between Paul and the members of these churches, and the members of these churches had been taught by him, and, and it seemed, at least at first, to go really well. But now, for some reason, if you remember back in chapter 4, he asked them, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? So something has changed here, right? Uh, and he even reminded them, too, that it was the sons of flesh who constantly have persecuted the sons of the Spirit. It's always worked that way. So there's maybe even some persecution going on between Paul and these churches. 
So clearly the Galatians had gone from honoring Paul and his teaching ministry to basically mocking and ridiculing him because of the missionaries that bewitched them and led them astray. And so more than likely, this is why he says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. He's basically saying, listen, you're not free to mock and ridicule, and even persecute the teachers that God is using to redeem his spirit-filled children and gather us together into this heavenly household of faith. Uh, Better yet, he's saying, you know what? That's fine. You can mock and ridicule us. Later he says, but God is not mocked. God is not mocked. Uh, We need to take him and this church and his mission very seriously. Paul is encouraging a kind of ownership of the church's mission to proclaim the word of God in all the world. The kind of ownership of all people. Uh, you, all of us have been gathered into this heavenly family as the word of God is preached and taught in the world. Therefore, all of us should take responsibility for that mission and try to see it go fruitfully and go well. You may not be a teacher or a preacher of God's word, but you can do this by caring about the teaching of God's word and all the world and uh, by sharing all good things with those who are called to preach and teach God's word in this way uh, to the tune maybe of even supporting a preaching workshop for pastors in India, just hypothetically. That might be why we do something like that. I want to acknowledge that there is a lot of sort of responsibility taking in this particular passage, and especially after a book that's all about the grace of God alone and and faith in Christ alone. This may sound a bit daunting as we kind of near the end of it. I can imagine uh, it may be that you're here asking yourself, am am I really in in this way? Uh, Do I really want to be a part of, of this kind of thing? This sounds like a lot. Um, it's almost like I can't kind of just fake it till I make it. Like I'm going to get found, that God's going to know. There's just, I really have to do this if I'm, if I'm going to do this. And it's almost as if as we wrestle with that tension right there, it's almost like Paul is anticipating that tension. And then he addresses that tension next with this one clarification. And that is this, we cannot fool God. We can't fool him. Part of the confusion of this church is, wait, who is the son of the spirit? Who is the son of the flesh? It wasn't entirely clear. People were being fooled and bewitched and led astray. And the point is here, listen, you may be able to fool his children here on earth, but you cannot fool the father himself. He will not be mocked. This is the key. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Remember back in chapter 3, he told us that we can deceive, I'm sorry, not chapter 3, just verse 3. He just said we could deceive ourselves by thinking we're something when we're not. And that looked like refusing to bear one another's burdens, just saying, I don't, I don't really need that. Well, here he's saying, listen, you, you go further than that. You can ridicule and mock your brothers. You can deceive yourselves even. You can deceive an entire church, but God is not mocked. You're, you're not going to pull the wool over his eyes. Uh, you may make, you may not take me seriously, Paul is hinting at. Uh, you may not take these churches seriously, your brothers and sisters. But then if, if so, don't fool yourself into thinking that you are taking God the Father seriously. You're not. We saw in 1 John, you say you, lo- you love your brother, if you say you love God and you hate your brother, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. It's a similar idea. The point is, 
These things really matter. The way we live really matters because, as the famous line goes, you reap what you sow. This is honestly very much tied to this passage here, even that little uh, phrase. If we don't take responsibility for truly sowing to the Spirit, we will not reap from the Spirit. Uh, So far, we talked about about taking responsibility, bearing burdens. That's what we should associate with the reaping, right? I'm sorry, with the sowing, rather. Sowing to the Spirit looks like living by faith, not just making a profession of faith, right, but actually using our faith to shape the way we live and, and love one another. It looks like keeping in step with the Spirit, as we saw. It looks like taking responsibility for our brothers and sisters and the mission we share as God's heavenly household here on earth. Now, sowing to the flesh is basically putting those seeds in the wrong ground and in a way that won't produce any fruit. And, and, and Paul has said it looks like being controlled by the desires of our flesh. It looks like using our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, kind of hiding behind the gospel to justify our own sinfulness, uh, biting and devouring our brothers and sisters. We've heard a lot of this, not taking any responsibility for our spiritual lives or the lives of others. So the question is, what kind of seeds are we planting with our lives? And where are we planting them? Reaping, on the other hand, means, of course, benefiting from all this hard work in the end, Uh, benefiting from the hard work and responsibility we bear for the sake of God's kingdom. And ultimately, what Paul shares is we will reap eternal life. This is what we have to look forward to. This does not mean that by sowing we are earning eternal life. That's That's not the picture. But it does mean that if we are truly spiritual, we will sow in this way, and unless we are that, we will never reap. So, Meanwhile, some members of these churches uh, were imposters. There was confusion, especially the missionaries that were impacting them. They were pretending to be heavenly sowers. They were claiming to be brothers and sisters, but they were sowing in the sand of their flesh for their own sake rather than the fertile field of God's spirit. And therefore, in the end, Paul is clearly saying they will reap corruption and they will not reap eternal life. doesn't matter who they manage to fool here on earth. We only reap eternal life if we sow to the Spirit. We will only reap eternal life if this gospel message, the true gospel, transforms us, sets us free from the law, and the Spirit of the living God empowers our new life in Christ. Ultimately, this is why we should take responsibility in the way Paul's saying. This is why it really matters that we do. This is the claim of our text today. Basically, the whole sermon in one sentence is the way we live today has real consequences, both now and for all of eternity. The way we live today has real consequence, both now and for all of eternity. This life now, this earthly thing we have going on is for sowing. It's for sowing, which means uh, you can't really tell how the harvest will be quite yet. Uh, It may be tough to weigh along the way. Is this really going to be worth it, all this responsibility? Wouldn't it be easier to just give that up and live for myself here and now, eat, drink, and be merry? Do I really have to go about my life and even my fellowship in this church as if heavenly things are at stake? 
If our goal is just to make a good showing in the flesh and avoid persecution, then the answer is no. I guess we don't. We can kind of fake it. But if our goal is to be delivered from this present evil age as members of this heavenly household, the answer is undeniably yes. Yes, we must. Yes, it's worth it. And, and yes, God himself even cares deeply about our sowing. He really does. He is concerned about the life that we live now. He's gone to great lengths to deliver us from this age. He wants us to join him in that and live in this new kind of spiritual way. And so with that said, I want to give us now, uh, by way of application, three questions to consider to just help us discern, are we truly sowing to the Spirit? Three questions, all rooted right from our passage. The first one is this. Am I taking responsibility for my own spiritual well-being? Am I taking responsibility for it? One of the greatest beauties of the gospel is that we are set free from sin by faith alone, which means our place in God's heavenly family does not depend on our effort or our performance. It is vital that we understand this. If we don't, it's just a matter of time before we're running around in the flesh trying to make all this happen on our own. That's not what Paul means here when he says we have to bear our load. That's not what he's encouraging. And yet it is appropriate for Paul to end this letter in this way with this call to take responsibility because as precious as the doctrine of justification by faith alone is, and it is, if it is the only tool we have in our tool belt, we may easily veer off course. We may easily presume, well, justification's by faith, so I don't I don't have to do anything. I don't have to take responsibility for growing in Christ, walking by the Spirit, loving my brothers and sisters. No, I don't have to actually like obey God and, and, and take all this spiritually stuff seriously at all. What I want us to see is that we do have sowing to do, church. We do. It really matters if we do it and how we do it. It will require us to bear a load even by faith and the power of the Spirit, absolutely. And, and not to be justified, that's a different conversation, yes, but we do need to take responsibility for our spiritual lives. Whether or not we do really matters, both now and for all of eternity. So with all the things that we could devote our time and our attention to, including our work, our hobbies, our leisure, uh, parenting, sports and other activities, social media, finances, savings. With all those things in play, are we giving enough time and attention to our spiritual well-being? When life gets burdensome, are we stopping to pray and to bear the load of that burden by faith in Christ? Uh, or are we running around trying to figure it out on our own in the flesh? Are our prayer lives, our times in God's word, our discipling relationships, our love for one another, are all these things growing and blossoming? Are, are we taking specific next steps to cultivate fruit in the, of the Spirit in areas of our life where it may not be? I think it's really helpful just to consider two reasons, again, from our text, that we might neglect taking responsibility for ourselves in this way. 
And the first one is because we think we are something when we're nothing. Uh, we, we overestimate our spiritual maturity as it is, or at the very least, where our maturity comes from, who's responsible for it. We take responsibility. As a result, when it comes to spiritual growth, we tend to assume, well, that's something that those people need, uh, but not me. Uh, those people would benefit from my insight and my maturity, I, I, I'm, but I'm okay. I don't really need theirs. And in our pride, we have a lot to say about how others need to grow and the spiritual maturity and health and what it looks like for them. Meanwhile, we neglect our own spiritual well-being and our own health. We may feel we are spiritual. Uh, we may think we are sowing to the Spirit. But our life certainly does not reflect that. Um, we may hide that from others, even very effectively, but we won't hide it from God. Another reason we might neglect to take responsibility for our own spiritual health is that we're expecting other people to bear the load for us. Uh, it's possible to have an unhealthy kind of dependence on others in our spiritual life. Here, where it comes to spiritual growth and burdens, maybe our first instinct is to pick up the phone, call a friend, vent, rather than searching the scriptures ourselves and really seeking God in prayer. Uh, someone in this particular category might say something like, listen, I really want to grow in this church, but they just don't have the right small group for me. Um, what I'm looking for is the perfect mix of men and women. Some of them should be married, some of them single. I would love for it to meet on the east side. It's on Saturday mornings. I'm flexible about when, but maybe 6.30 to 10 in the morning, somewhere in that window. And if someone in that group could really join me in my passion for hiking, that would mean so much. I, this is what I need to grow spiritually. I'm, I'm joking, of course, right? But the point is this. I want us to see... According to Paul, we do need to bear our own load at the end of the day, which means sowing to the Spirit in our lives. We are responsible for what we sow and how we go about that, and it really matters not just for today but for all of eternity. As we take responsibility for our own spiritual growth now, it's as if we are sowing a field that we will spend all of eternity reaping and harvesting to the glory of God. So I want to ask, I want you, us, all of us to ask ourselves today, am I really doing that? Am I really taking responsibility for my spiritual growth in that way? Next, number two, am I taking responsibility for the spiritual well-being of my brothers or sisters? Am I taking responsibility for others now, this is a great example of a text with, that shows us the New Testament's vision for church membership without explicitly calling it church membership. Uh, clearly, Paul is writing to specific, distinct churches there in Galatia, and he's calling the members of these churches to take responsibility for one another, even and especially when a brother or sister's in sin or when they're carrying a certain burden. So this is clear evidence that the church was never meant to be this nebulous thing that we can all just be a part of without any meaningful commitment to a specific group of Christians, groups of Christians that we can live in close enough proximity with to actually see when they're caught in sin, groups of Christians that we bear some obligation and responsibility to restore if we see them caught in sin. So this is why we approach membership, by the way, not just as like an organizational thing, like a, like a uh, Sam's Club sort of thing, but, but as a spiritual thing. 
It's because the New Testament is filled with these kinds of commands for members of specific churches. If you want to learn more about that, please do join us for the membership class. We'd love to talk more about it. But for those of you who are members, as a member of Redemption, how do you view your role in the life and ministry of our church? And more importantly, do you see yourself as having a specific role in the lives of your fellow church members? Are you opening your life up enough to know and even walk with your brothers and sisters in this way? Uh, do, you, do people see into your life enough to take responsibility for you in this way? Uh, do you have, frankly, a, a humble, needy heart that feels even the need for this kind of care? Uh, we all feel a sense of responsibility and obligation. We see this working in incredible ways in our church that are constantly encouraging to me uh, I just want to say, uh, we, it, it may be, possibly, that we have a, a, a potential building opportunity to share about and discuss and consider to, uh, soon, hopefully, we pray. We'll let you know. But if it's, if it's the case that we called a, a members meeting to talk about a particular opportunity, uh, I imagine with something like that on the table, you'd feel a sense of responsibility. You want to come. This is my church. We, we, we might be looking at buying a building, right? And I'm not saying that's bad, actually. I think that's actually really a good thing, and we need to do that in those ways together. But what I am saying is that we should feel that kind of burden and responsibility for every member's gathering we have when people made in God's image profess their faith in Christ and commit to living in this way with us. So if you're like, got to be at the building meeting, but you think, eh, I don't know about the, the regular members gathering, I think we need to think about that. We need to look at that. Now, there are constantly reasons to, 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 to have hesitations and objections to this. I, I have a section here I'm not going to preach. I wish I could talk more about it. But all that to say, I understand hesitations with this. There's a lot of complexities with the church, people's experience with the church, the hurt with the church. We can think that people who do this kind of church thing, they're just self-righteous. But notice Paul, according to Paul, it's actually the opposite. It's those who refuse to bear the burdens of their brothers and sisters who have convinced themselves that they're something when they're nothing. And so, as a pastor, I regularly get to encourage us toward this kind of life together. As I've said, I see it all over the place. This is one of the great blessings of pastoring this church. Um, but I also want to reflect, I, I want to let you guys in just a little bit on what it's like to bear burdens as the pastor of this church. Um, in the last five years, um, five pastors I know, a couple of them I'm actually really close with, have burnt out in ministry uh, or, or left the ministry altogether uh, because of conflict or because of some sort of a disqualification. Uh, so to be perfectly honest, one burden I bear is the intensity of the, of the scrutiny and cynicism that people often have towards churches and leaders, particularly churches like ours even. Uh, and, and, and that can be a weight. As I watch guys I know and I love walk through that, there's a weight to that. Uh, Carrie and I are also in a season that's particularly demanding and requires a lot of our time and attention. We have two wonderful kids who need us in many, many ways. Uh, we're also adopting uh, a little girl from India, and, and that process is very complicated. It's very emotional. It's very unpredictable. Uh, as a church, we also have a number of important ministry transitions coming up, needs, uh, hopefully a building process, right? I, 
I, re- I hesitate to say these types of things ever because I don't want ever to hear me uh, complaining. All of you have burdens. I know your burdens are great, and I do not presume that mine are any, any greater. Uh, that's not my hope. And, and certainly, I, I, I don't mean to bemoan what I do. I love what I do. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I consider it a great privilege. And thankfully, I can say with a pretty clear conscience, by God's grace, you can ask Carrie, but I think I'm doing pretty well right now. I really do. Uh, Praise God. My point is simply to say this. Uh, If you are not seeing me as a brother who has burdens, if if you think of me as that pastor guy who takes all the responsibility and doesn't need anything in particular himself, I just please don't think of me that way. Please don't. Uh, first, I'm not interested at all in living sort of outside and above our church. First and foremost, I'm a member of our church just like anyone else, just like any other brother or sister here. And I also need others to take responsibility for me in this way. I, I want to model living this kind of spiritual life, not just promote it. In particular, there are three men who really do care for me in this way. I think you know they are Greg Allis, Carl Durnell, and Ron Sanchez, the, the elders that I serve with here at this church. Just a tremendous blessing, along with others. But these guys in particular, they don't just show up to meetings and tell me I'm doing a great job, okay? Uh, they walk with me side by side, and they help me to bear specific burdens in my life. Uh, they know the demands of preaching every week in the midst of everything else going on in my life. It's a lot to bear. So these last three weeks, they've given me three weeks to rest and refresh from preaching at least, They've done an incredible job serving us in teaching, and I'm so grateful for that. Uh, they take responsibility for our church, not just as a nonprofit, but, but for us, for the people of Redemption Church, and they don't let all that fall to me. When I'm really stressed or struggling with a situation, these brothers meet with me, they listen to me, they encourage me, they pray for me. Uh, if I'm a little testy or defensive in a meeting, uh, they tell me, Danny, you were a little testy and defensive in that meeting, right? And you might think, oh, that happens? That happens. (laughs) That happens. I need that. We all need this. And so please, don't just hear me saying today, over and over, even in the life of our church, do this, guys. Take responsibility for one another. I want you to hear me say, by the authority of God's word, all of us need this, including me. We need others to help us bear our burdens. We need members of our church even to take responsibility for our spiritual well-being and to bear those burdens with us. This is how we fulfill the law of Christ, and this is all part of sowing to the Spirit. And finally, in light of our passage, uh, we should also ask ourselves this today. When I grow weary, will I press on and keep doing good or give up. Now, one thing's obvious in this passage. Paul sees this new kind of spiritual life being incredibly difficult, being vexing, being demanding. It would be far easier not to live in this way, just to live in the way that feels best for us. So we should expect to experience that kind of tension in our Christian lives. I think part of Paul's point is that's part of what we need to bear together. And so if you are feeling exhausted by your spiritual life, 
or if you are even uh, exhausted by the life and ministry of our church, I just want to say, I think Paul is trying to say, I think God is trying to say to you today through these verses, hang in there. Hang in there. Keep going. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep trusting the Lord. Keep loving his people. Keep showing up. Keep sowing seed in the ground. I get it. Uh, Maybe this church didn't turn out to be as special as you thought. In the end of the day, it is a church of sinful people like all the other ones you've seen. Uh, Maybe the luster of being a new church and a plant has worn off. Maybe some particular members are very difficult for you to love. Uh, Maybe the ways you're serving aren't as fulfilling as you'd hoped. Uh, Or maybe you are just a more private person who just needs a bit more space than most people. I get it. But as hard as this may be to live this way in this kind of spiritual life, in the end, church, we will see it is all well worth it. In the end, we will see that all along, God has been working in us. God has been working through us. God has been working among us. And so much like a healthy marriage, I I want to encourage us just to take giving up off the table take it off the table. We're not just going to grow weary and give up. We're pressing on. We're one flesh. This is a heavenly spiritual thing God is doing. When you have doubts or you go through seasons of spiritual dryness, when something hard happens in our church or you walk through a type of conflict with someone, when the demands of life make it feel like you have no margin for this kind of spiritual stuff, when the world seems so messy that you just want to hit eject and ignore all of them, don't. Keep sowing seed. Church, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. So then, Paul says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those of the household of faith. The way we live, whether or not we press on in this really matters because someday, church, we will have a harvest of eternal life with God to reap together. But for now, it's time to sow.